Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, I'm Trisha Aquino, Puma Podcast, and you're listening to Teka Teka Explains. In this episode... It was a um, banner, and a guy was holding it up, and he said, it was written, you fucked with the wrong generation. Oh my and God. I think, <laughs> yeah, I know. I was on the second leg of my trip from Manila to Geneva, Switzerland, at nagsawa na ako sa in-flight entertainment at YouTube downloads ko. So I whipped out my coloring book and my colored pencils, plopped them on my tray, and started coloring. The lady seated on the plane next to me asked, Are you an artist? She had helped me earlier as soon as I sat down, stuffing the airline-issued pillow and blanket into the pocket in front of me so I could be more comfortable on the six-hour journey from Doha, Qatar. No, I told her. It's just a hobby. My seatmate, I would later learn, was 60 years old, almost as old as my mom. She was in a moss green suit with a brooch on her chest and a shawl around her neck, her Sunday best, while I was in jogging pants and a shirt. I'm a painter, she said, eager for an opening to chat with someone, anyone. Oh, wow, I replied, setting my things aside. I asked her if I could see pictures of her work. She immediately scrolled through her phone and showed me a plate that she'd painted in blue swirls and a necklace with a stone that she'd designed. There was also a face mask that she'd embroidered. There was a back and forth of her showing photos of her two sons. They were tall, dark-haired, masculine. One was studying in England, the other was in Germany. She was gonna visit them, along with her sister in Geneva and two others in Norway. Her husband, with a shock of white hair, was back home. I showed her a photo of my husband. She asked if I had kids. I showed her a photo of my dog. And she laughed, exasperated, rolling her eyes. Great, she said. Conversation was stilted. Her English was sparse. She made do with hand gestures, photos, and the expression in her eyes. I asked her if she was from Qatar. She seemed Middle Eastern after all. No, she said. She was from Iran. And she seemed almost apologetic about that. As if to say, Yes, that Iran. The same Iran where Masa Amini, a 22-year-old woman and member of the Kurdish ethnic minority, had been killed in September. She had been in the custody of the government's moral police after supposedly wearing her hijab wrong. Masa's death has triggered daily protests and demonstrations all over Iran. 
It's a place where women are deemed inferior, where girls become child brides and are expected to consummate their marriage against their will, where fathers decide whether their daughters can go to school, and husbands decide whether their wives can work, and where women have to ask for the permission of the men in their family to travel abroad. Iranian people very good, my seatmate said. Government bad. She added, two cousins, three cousins, killed. Then she took the ends of her scarf and looped it around her fingers, like a noose. I put my hand around my neck in question. She nodded. Yes, they had been hung. She would pause every now and then to gather her thoughts, searching for words. She kept asking, was I, quote-unquote, comfortable? I tried to tell her that yes, I was willing to listen. I was a journalist after all. Her face lit up when I said that. You are a journalist! That was all the permission she needed. She could go on and tell me what she could. We held on to each other's arms as she cried. I put my hand on her leg, trying to tell her that it was okay. At the end of it, she told me I was good, very good. And she handed me her brooch, shaped like a flower, silver, with six dark pearls in the middle. We kissed goodbye at the Geneva airport, where she had been greeted by a man whom I assumed was her brother-in-law. I was in Geneva to attend the 51st session of the United Nations Human Rights Council. I was there to learn about how the UN body worked and what its impact was on our lives back home. And I couldn't believe that I hadn't even stepped foot inside the UN headquarters, and I already had a story. It's been hell to live in Iran for the past 44 years. The Islamic Republic of Iran has made everything so hard on people that we all had to seek asylum in other countries. That's Ferial Mokhtarirad, a young Iranian woman who now lives in Switzerland. She spoke in early October at a side event at the UN. A side event means it's outside of the main session where 193 UN member states discuss all sorts of human rights issues, with civil society and the media present. This patriarchal regime has brainwashed children and families into believing that women are inferior to men. The Islamic Republic of Iran has captured, assassinated, tortured feminists, journalists, lawyers, singers, children, and students because they criticize the regime. Do you know when the families of the victims receive the cadaver of their children, they have to pay for the bullet their children were killed with? Paying for the bullet that killed your child. Imagine that. If the daughter dishonors the traditions or does not respect them, the father can kill his daughter and he will not receive grave punishment. Monahi Dari was only 17 years old when she was beheaded by her husband. She was a victim of a forced marriage to her cousin at the age of 12. She had a three-year-old son. Her husband walked around the city with Monah's head in his hand, proudly took pictures. Anyone, a father who beheads his daughter may get up to eight years in prison, while a woman who takes off her hijab can get 24 years in prison. The mullahs create these Islamic laws and enforce them by saying it's written in the Quran even if they are not. 
Nada Al-Nashif, the UN Deputy High Commissioner for Human Rights, reported what they had been observing of Iran since last year during the 50th session of the UN Human Rights Council in June. Regrettably, there was no progress observed towards the adoption of the Bill on Violence Against Women presented to Parliament in January 2021. While requiring further amendments for it to be compliant with international standards, the Bill would have, and can still have, introduced some positive changes, notably criminalizing violence against women in Iran. In February 2022, Parliament ratified the general section of the User Protection Bill, further restricting the information environment and isolating Iran from the global Internet. Among other concerns, the bill delegates control over international gateways to the security forces and the army and requires social media platforms to cooperate with the latter in surveillance and censorship. Members of minority communities continue to be targeted. On top of all these restrictions and human rights violations, Al-Nashif noted that high inflation, widespread unemployment, and poverty plague the country. But something is brewing in Iran. The winds of change are blowing across the nation. Since the coming to power of the Islamic Republic of Iran, the regime has tried to polarize the Iranian society policy was to polarize on the one hand the female population against that of the male, the Shiite religion against the Sunni, the ethnic groups one against the other. But recent events have crossed these ethnic boundaries in Iran. We have noticed solidarity among all layers of society. That was Dr. Baban Elyasi. He is an Iranian, part of the Kurdish ethnic minority. He now lives in Switzerland as a human rights activist. There has been an accumulation of grievances, he says. According to him, the regime has accused the Kurds of being separatists to maintain the system the ruling class enjoys. The leaders supposedly say that toppling the system would lead them into a situation like Syria's. But, says Dr. Eliassi, the people no longer believe this narrative because they see with their own eyes the children of their government officials living in North America and Europe enjoying liberties they, back home, cannot. The population is in need, but their leaders don't take care of them. For the young who are in Iran, they don't have these chances. So the people are seeing these differences and they don't accept it. The problem in Iran is the problem of freedom. It is a problem of uh, economic. It is the problem of discrimination uh, uh, for the women. It is a problem of discrimination uh, among ethnic groups in Iran. And for the people whom we've seen demonstrating on international news channels, enough is enough. You think social media has helped with that? Absolutely, that is why the, in Iran they are cutting off internet. 
and uh, yeah, sure, uh, maybe we can call it the revolution of social media in Iran because everybody has a, with his iPhone or a smartphone can uh, take video and it, the system uh, can, cannot control the image and the information is going outside. Where are they posting this? Social media like uh, Facebook, like Telegram, Instagram, and also people are uh, talking from Iran in um, uh, Clubhouse. But uh, the, the risk is that if uh, the internet is cut, uh, I think the uh, regime is not backing down because uh, any concessions to the demonstrators in the opinion of the system is that if they accept any concession, the population will ask for more. But this time, uh, it is about uh, three weeks to at least three weeks, it is continuing. And the protester, uh, it was at the beginning at the street, there were some strikes, and now it is going to universities. So, uh, if this continues to go to the other sectors like oil industry sector or transport sector. So I think it will be uh, too difficult for the system to, uh, to control it. Right now, says Dr. Eliasi, there is a deadlock between the people and the government of Iran. Support from the international community is crucial. So what we are hoping for is an overthrow of the government. It is what, it's what the population wants. Mm. Because the slogan, death to dictator, mm. it means that uh, they want a change. Are you seeing that the men, more and more men, are in solidarity with the women? Absolutely. This uh, slogan, Jen, Jian, Azadi, women, life, freedom, comes from... Kurdish uh, philosophy, the culture. I'm proud that I see the men are also participating as women in that uh, revolution. It is a woman revolution in Iran. For Mona Silawi, another woman living in exile from Iran and from the Awaz Arabic minority group, it's about time that she had her freedom back. Here she is speaking at the UN side event remotely. A woman was killed only because some clerks interpreted the religion in this way and they think they can tell us women what to wear, what to think, what to do. In this regime, they control every aspect of woman life. This time the uprising is different. We need your support. This time students in the universities, in more than 100 universities, join the protest, even the professors in the universities, workers, teachers, young students, as young as 15 and 16 girls in the street. They don't want to live under this regime. Her call to people outside of Iran? Provide them with the media, be their voice, and do not allow the regime to kill them like in the last protest. Do not forget, in the last protest, in a couple of weeks, when they cut the internet, they killed over 1,500 protesters. The internet is our margin of security. Yes, the regime set us out. We are in exile, but still we have connection. 
and we want to go back to be among our countries. We don't want to continue living in exile, and it is maybe our last hope to go back home. Help us to go back home. Meanwhile, back in Switzerland, Perial Mokhtarirad, the young Iranian woman who now lives there, is thriving. She's studying nursing and actually has a Pinoy best friend. They immediately bonded when they met in school, being the only students who didn't speak French, but English. Perial has a boyfriend, she has a dog named Coconut, and she has a bright future ahead of her. Like how the guys do it, she says. The girls can do the same. And that was this week's episode of Teka Teka Explains. Again, I'm Trisha Aquino, Puma Podcast. This episode was produced by myself. It was edited by Preska Pistrano. Thank you to the Universal Rights Group and the Permanent Mission of Denmark to the UN in Geneva for making our coverage of the 51st session of the UN Human Rights Council possible. 